the way I see it is I've been through some shit. Mm-hmm. I'd prefer other people don't have to go through the shit I've been through to have the learnings I've got. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, and welcome back to Life With A Why, the interview series where we find out why sales leaders do what they do. It is good to be back for season two. I'm your host, Brian With A Why, and today we are starting episode one of this season with a bang. We're interviewing Ollie Sharp. Now, Ollie Sharp is an extraordinary sales leader based in London, and he's a big mental health advocate in the sales space. Ali is best known in the sales tech space as one of the leaders who is genuinely passionate about the people that he works with, genuinely passionate about enabling and supporting others. And today we find out why. However, in this episode, Ali tricked me. So we recorded this interview in mid-September in Ali's offices inside of the sales loft office. At the time, Ali was the MD for EMEA for sales loft where I currently work. And we did this interview looking out through his big glass door over the company that he had built over the previous three years. And in this interview, Ali talks about his legacy at SalesLoft and his values as a sales leader. However, two weeks after we finished rolling on this episode, I got the news that Ali would be leaving SalesLoft, something that, that surprised a lot of us in the EMEA offices. He wanted to keep it quiet. However, in this interview, Ali knew <laughs> when I listen back to this, I actually think there's two interviews you're about to listen to. The first one is from my perspective. I'm interviewing someone trying to take a snapshot of why a sales leader as unique as Ali does what he does and what drives him and what has driven him to be where he is today. The second interview is Ali taking this as an opportunity for reflection to understand what kind of leader he is. He knew he'd be leaving. I didn't. And so there's two sides to this interview. That's one of the reasons why I'm so excited to present this interview to you today. But unfortunately, right now I have to make a quick apology. Reason being is this is the first interview I've ever done in person. And unfortunately, the audio quality isn't as good as other episodes. Um, I made some mistakes with my microphone settings and microphone placement that I will never make again. But unfortunately, during this episode, it it gets a little bit quieter than we'd like at times. I've had to get this audio professionally remastered, but there was only so much that they could do with the quality that I had given them. But if you can look past the lower than normal production quality, you'll hear one of the highest quality interviews that Ali has ever done. And those are his words, not mine. So, for the first time in season two, let's jump into it. So... Thank you for, for joining us properly today. Um, my first question for you is, who are you? I'm Ollie Sharp. <laughs> um, uh, in work, I'm MD for Mayo Sales Loft. Um, if you're meaning who am I in a deeper level as a person, um, I am a northerner that uh, grew up in, uh, uh, worked very well off through my life of growing up, which gave me certain um, desire to, to have money. Um, I believe I'm a compassionate person. Um, I often get asked, am I an introvert or an extrovert? And sometimes I don't know the answer that I have. When you see it as um, a certain way of where do you get your energy from, is it from being with people or being on your own? I think I get it from being with people who trust me as an extrovert. 
But I think I'm an extrovert with anxiety or a lack of confidence in certain areas. I think that uh, I'm someone that in work environment comes across as confident, but in a non-work environment, I have uh, areas that I'm not confident in. Um, I'm a family man. I um, prioritise my family in everything I do. Um, my life is about creating opportunity for my family. That's my one true north of what I want to do and be there for them. Um, and uh, I like helping others. Um, I A lot of what I do, I've realised I get a lot of growth and personal happiness from helping others um, with nothing behind it. And whether it is if someone's having issues, if someone in work, someone wants to talk, I realise that's, that's a calling in my life to uh, prioritise helping others. And um, sometimes I get my wife doesn't quite like him because I want to find a solution to everything. Sometimes some people just want to get heard. But yeah, that's me, I think. Um, there's probably more to it. Probably uh, my wife would say different, but that's how I would like to be seen, should we say. Um, well, look, we've known each other for what feels like uh, a long a time. time. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> none of that was particularly sort of, um, none of that was particularly surprising. Uh, you talk about sort of the compassionate piece, the family man. We, we all know that. You talk about that a lot. Um, the helping each other. Um, the piece about not being confident in some areas, that's new. Um, can you tell me more about that? Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that there is a certain lack of confidence in me. I think when I was at school, I've never been that confident as a person. Mm -hmm. And I've found the things that I have confidence in. And when I was at school, it was sports. That's what gave me confidence. If I was on a tennis court, a cricket field, a football pitch, I was a confident person. Take me off that and put me even in a larger group with friends. And I wasn't, I lacked the confidence. And socially, I lacked confidence. Okay. If I'm sat around a table with three people, I'm okay. I'm cut with that. If I am out with more people, I'm never, if, if I'm in a big group, I'll probably be the quietest there. And still. Yeah, God, yes, yeah. Unless someone brings up work. I'm like, yeah, I can talk about work, but that's kind of bore people. I, I just think I have this um, concern of boring people. And I, I um, and yes, it makes me quiet. And it's, um, it is a surprise to quite a few people, and I know it's something I would love to just get over, but if I am in a social environment, you'll see me talking to two or three people, and you'll often see me get to a stage that I'll go, oh, where's the toilet? Or, oh, I've just got to go see them and stuff like this because I've got shit. Pull an Irish exit. Yeah, I won't <laughs> leave, but I will go speak to someone else. And it, that just comes from a, that lack of confidence in a social environment, you know? Interesting. Okay. That is particularly new. However, when I when we sort of zoom into the way that you approach leadership, and we'll, we'll do that later on, I think that actually starts to make sense. Okay. Um, I will actually come back to that later and I'll percolate on it for a little while. Um, but usually when people are sort of, I don't even know how to describe it. I don't think socially anxious is the word, but it's just a little bit more uh, reserved in those situations. Yeah, um, I think there's a le level of anxiety in a big group. I mean, I, I if there's a social event and I know I don't know loads of people or it's going to be a big gathering, find one little reason I'll make sure I don't go. Then I also have this anxiety with myself of letting people down. Okay. And I, I never want to let anybody down. So if, for example, 
there is a night out, the first thing that happens that then that next train is cancelled, oh, I don't have to go then. Then I think, oh, shit, I'm going to let people down. And I have this constant battle with myself. Uh-huh. That get out of your comfort zone and get out. Go on, go do it. And then you won't let people down and you'll actually break this. But And when I do get out, it's never like I assume it's going to be and stuff like that. And I get over it quite quickly. And it's, yeah, it's, um, yeah, that's me. That's, uh, that is something new. So usually when people are kind of thinking about these things, they end up thinking about what other people think of them. Um, what, what do you hope people are saying about you when you're not in the room? As in, in that environment? Where no, I just in stuff. general. Um, someone actually said something to my face the other day that made me really just... Someone um, we've got friends with is um, real. And uh, I'm visiting and helping where I can with kids and stuff. And she sat there and the wife just said to me, you're such a very kind man. And I was like, and that, that made me well up a little bit. I want them to, I want, I would love people to feel that I am kind, high integrity. That's one of my black and white, so uh, I always go with integrity. Um, it's a definite. Um, kind, giving, compassionate, high integrity. And thoughtful of others. Um, that's what matters to me. If I'm fun once in a while and have a laugh and funny, even better, but that's just the name of the bonus. It's very um, external focused. Yeah, which I think ties back to my um, my insecurity of that social environment, if yeah. you think about it. it is, it's about others. Uh, my wife often tells me that I concentrate too much on uh, the happiness of others rather mm. than myself. Um, and she asked me a question, what was job for dinner? I'd be like, what do you want? It's like, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, I, I often try to find a solution to problems and I try to think of others above myself, which I've got to get the right balance of, I think, sometimes. But as long as, I'm not, as long as it's not detrimental to myself, then why? It's, uh, it's one of those things, I think there'll be a lot of people who end up listening to this, that'll see themselves in that. Mm. Or, you know, they're just very much focused on the needs of other people. Does it ever sort of conflict highly with, with your own needs? I don't I'm, I'm a very laid back person when it comes to my own needs. Mm. I don't care about much. I, I care about what I care about, which is my family and stuff like that, um, and happiness. But does it conflict? No. Because I think... The way that I always think is, does it conflict my values, not my needs? Okay. And I think that if it conflicts my values, then I have a, a hard stop on it. Because I am a values-led person in my work environment and have who I want to be as a person. That is what is important. My needs, my needs can wait most of the time. If it's, okay, well, my daughter wants to go and do something, but I want to go and play tennis. Tennis is something that is a release for me and I enjoy, but I can play tennis another time. My daughter's happiness is something. I mean, if she just wants to go and get something uh, that I don't agree with, then it probably won't. But no, I don't. I would say no, it doesn't conflict with my needs. And, but I would say that my family tell me sometimes I should be more thoughtful towards myself about my own needs. What would it take? What, 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 what scenario happens where you go, no, I need to put me first? Because all the stories I know about you, you put the others first. Yeah, I, th- I think it is. I think it's when my head isn't in a good place. Okay. I think it is 
I believe I've developed a better level of self-awareness around my feelings and my emotions and, and things like that. And I'm not there yet. I'm not saying I am very self-aware. I've got better at it. And I think the time when I actually go, none of these me, is when it has impacted my happiness and my emotions that I know I'm not in a good place. And if there's, I get to a stage that, and things recently that have happened that people me in a good place, and I get to think with my head that if I get one more thing in my head to think about, it feels like it's going to blow up. Mm. And I have to go, whoa, whoa. And recently my wife came to me with something about the house, because we're looking to do the house, architects are coming back, all these kind of things. And I said, do you mind if we just put this conversation on hold? And my head's going to blow up if I've got one more thing in my head. I've got other things I need to concentrate on. She went, that's cool, that's fine. And so it does, I don't think it's, it's never, I don't feel it's around my need to do things. It's more around my needs mentally and emotionally when I've got other things that are taking up my mind space. That makes a lot of sense. It's, um, there comes a, a tipping point. And does it usually happen when there's an event? So does something, does something happen and then all of a sudden you're like, okay, I need to focus on, on me or do things accumulate? I think it's the, accumulate, they, they accumulate. They, they accumulate, yeah. So I keep things in to myself and I, I, I should talk more to my wife, etc. If something happens, I do have someone, my wife's a therapist. And I have someone great I can talk to. We have a very open conversation when we talk, but I don't automatically go talk. So mm-hmm. I let things build up. And it's not only about other people that affects me. Mm-hmm. Um, this summer, one of my good mates from home passed away. Mm-hmm. And it was, um, that affected me a lot. Um, there's things that happen around me that affect me and I start thinking about them and then things are happening in my life and things, whether it's my daughter going away or whatever. My daughter's diabetic and that is, it kills me when she goes away, just the, the dread of how she's going to be and stuff. And I build that up because I don't want to put that onto anyone around me. I don't want to sit down with my wife and say, this is really worrying me because I feel that it will make it, put it onto her. And I just keep it in, and I shouldn't. I know I shouldn't. Um, I tell other people to talk about things, and my wife's going to So, but that's what happens. I, it builds up, and then I, a couple of things happen all at the same time that build up, and then the smallest things then become big. And you know what it's like? You, you wake up in the middle of your night, your mind goes, you've got the chimp that you can't control, and um, it's learning to control that chimp from the chimp paradox that you're uh, seeing everything logically. That happens to me all the time as well. Uh, but it's it's an interesting one. And this is something that I've been told to work on recently. It's um, other people will do things and my reaction is to take them on and just withhold and keep them in. Mm. Um, that's just the way that I, that I work. And then I find that that takes all my energy. Yep. So that's where my battery resources are going instead of going anywhere else. Um, however, it's interesting that you've talked about your wife because you've brought her up five or six times in the last... 12 minutes. Um, tell me about... See, I'm tell boring me about people already. Not, <laughs> exactly. tell, us, tell us about it. So my, wife, my wife I met 21, 22 years ago um, on a night out. And um, she had a son at the time. She's a... So I've got a three-year-old step... I, had, I met him when he was three. I've now got a 24-year-old step, so... And... Um, so, yeah, my wife... She is a very strong rock to me. She is a, a therapist. 
she sadly got breast cancer seven years ago, mm-hmm. and we had a tough time. We also, um, I mean, we've had we've had a tough time, me and my wife. Uh, but it, I think tough times make you stronger as people, as individuals, and as, and as, as a couple, as a family. Um, we had um, we all. I always wanted uh, my own child, and um, we exactly went through. I think it was seven miscarriages. Um, and uh, that was a really tough time for us. And then we eventually had got pregnant with Trophy, and there was issues with that. My daughter now, so there was issues with that pregnancy. So my wife was actually bedridden from week fourteen through to birth. And really, yeah. Um, and so even when we had it was, and this we agreed this is going to be our last try because it was too much putting my wife through all the miscarriages and stuff. Her body was was suffering basically and so we're lucky enough to have my daughter who's Sophie and um so hence she's so spoiled and uh, so we had that um and then a bit later my wife got breast cancer um originally said it'll be all right it's small it's early stage and then she had the operation and went back and went actually it's not um and so she had to have a few rounds of chemo and more radiotherapy which was a really tough time it was very tough I mean for her it was very, very tough. She um, she's very strong, and she um, came out of that. And I mean, she gave up a job before that, and she started learning therapy. Had to be um, a counsellor, and um, she counsels me. You see, I've got a free counsellor. <laughs> so um, yeah, she had cancer. She's now five years clear, which is fantastic. Um, but that experience taught us a hell of a lot of, of, as people. It taught us. The importance, what is important in life, mm-hmm. um, and she often talk, hear me talking about that. Although I am committed to my work and I love my work, I won't work anywhere that I'm not happy. That doesn't give me a smile on my face because life is too short and can be too short. Why bother spending your life doing something that you're doing eight hours or nine hours or ten hours, twelve hours, twelve hours a day, whatever your job needs of you, that you're not happy doing, and um, I, it's taught me that when I think of things, and I was talking to someone that works for us recently about this, because I think when I'm on my deathbed, how do I look back and judge my life? Is it, it's not about what do you remember, it's about how you judge it. What you did out of your life? And I want to be lying there going, fuck me, yes I did. And that's <laughs> not about doing those things that make that kill your body that you have a short life or anything like this. What what brings you happiness? It's not about knowing your values and your your purpose and what those things can bring you happiness. And I often hear people talk or feel that people are just working towards retirement and then they're gonna live their lives. And some people don't get to live past retirement. Some people we don't we don't know what's around the corner. You might be living for this thing that when I retire, I'm going to do this. That's happening next week, whatever, or we might not get to retirement. So my thoughts and my wife's thoughts about life is just enjoy the journey. Look forward to things, yeah. But it's it's about enjoying that journey and doing the things you enjoy now, not waiting to do them in later life. Who knows if you're going to get there? So just enjoy the journey, and then that way, when I'm on my deathbed, I'll go. Yeah, I enjoyed it, and this, I experienced a lot. So how are you doing that? Um, for me, 
I always prioritise my family in everything I do. We we want to have as many experiences as possible. We want to, and that that's in both of us tends to come around travel. All right, and it's we like travelling different places. And when we certainly we could get a place in one place and we go on holiday. Well, I say, well, that's in different places. Like experiencing different places. I think for us, it's very much about the experiences. And it's we. I, I was buying a car recently, and my view was, God, I'm spending quite a bit of money on this. I don't need to spend that money on a car. But when we talked about it, it's like, okay, will it give you enjoyment when you're driving it? Do you drive it often enough to think about the experience rather than the purchase? And it's like, yeah, actually, that's a good point. So it's getting the right balance. So going back to your question, it, it is about the, you remember experiences. And whether that is with friends, traveling, family, whatever it is, that's how we're looking to do it. And also, I think that I was talking to another leader the other day. He talks about a three-legged stool where you have your work, your family, and you. And you've got to be happy in all three of them. When I was talking about this, I think that one thing that I hadn't prioritized enough was the third leg of that stool, which is me. And I'm not saying that's now my priority, but I've always leaned towards work and family that recently I have taken up tennis again. I am doing the things that I think I'm going to go do this. And um, so, yeah, that, that's how I'm doing it for myself a little bit more, doing the things that I maybe used to enjoy that were more about me and my time. If I didn't have my family around me, what, I, what would I be doing? I would either go be doing things that go down a bad path because that's how my mind works, as in right to the pub or whatever, or I'd be doing exercise in regards to playing tennis or I did a graphic design degree. I love art, I like drawing and those kind of things and doing something creative. I love cooking. So doing those bits that are that tick the box for me and my creativity that is naturally in me are important. And I, I that's what I... I even said to my wife, I'd enjoy wallpapering the wall the other day. I was like, what am I turning into? But those kind of things where there's a creative element, I believe that sometimes when I'm not doing enough about that, that I miss it and I don't feel whole. So we were talking about sort of happiness and how you're making yourself or you know, making sure that you're targeting that level of your life. And you talked about that three-legged stool, work, family, and you. That seems to be, when you sit on that stool, the, the happiness piece that you talk about a lot of. Exactly. And if one of, them, one of those legs is shorter and not fulfilled, you know what happens? The, the, the stool doesn't pan out. And at the beginning of this conversation, we talked about how you're giving as much as you can to, to others and not necessarily to yourself. Is that something is that, that you... Am I no. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like it. It's bloody worth it. Whatever I'm saying. Not at all. Hey, I'm, a, I'm an SDR. I ask questions for a living. You taught me how to do this. <laughs> I think now is a good time to take a very quick break while Ali and I are laughing because this episode has been sponsored by SalesLoft. Now, SalesLoft solves a lot of problems for sales reps and sales leaders. And as a result, I wanted to ask Ali, what was the biggest challenge that sales reps have at the minute? This was his answer. I mean, you've got the economic climate, which is changing the way that companies buy. I think that um, being aware of the way that companies buy is so important because it's about being agile around what's happening around you, because you will have to change the way you sell. You have to understand how external factors change the buyer 
the sales process, whatever, and adapt it in an agile way to make sure that you can keep up with it. So companies are changing the way that they buy and we, as sales reps, need to change our processes as a result. However, one of the biggest problems that sales reps have is that they either don't have a process or there's no way of documenting the processes of the ones that actually do. That's where SalesLoft comes in. Sales leaders, CROs, VPs of sales, heads of sales ops use SalesLoft to figure out the best way to book meetings, coach reps or manage deals, figure out their own sales processes and then adapt this to the buying processes of their prospects. If you want to know more about SalesLoft, you know where to go. All right, let's get back to the laughing. <laughs> so, on so in in that respect, then with those three, um, let's we, we've talked a little bit about the the family side of things. Now, I do have a very specific question on that before we move on. You talked about um, we talked about the work that you uh, when had had to go through to get Sophie into your life. Um, you talked about miscarriages, and then in a very short period of time, uh, your wife getting cancer. So, this person that you've been working with, this person with, and this partner in your life. All of a sudden, that, that there's a chance that, that they go away. Mm. How does that? That's a paradigm shifting side of things. That that's something that completely changes a worldview. Now it seems like one of those changes was we're going to make sure that we're not wasting our our time. What else came out of that? Or was that the big one? Um, I think a lot of it to me was the ability to be compassionate or empathetic about other people going through similar things. Okay. Um, which I think maybe has... Does that change? Good question. Um, I, I think that, yes, because you can be a lot more compassionate if you've experienced something yourself. Okay. So it's, I'm not saying I wasn't empathetic before or compassionate, but going through it, and I think that it's, it's like you helping someone with the problems being an SDR, you've been an SDR. So I think there's that part of it. Um, I just, I think there's, I mean, even something I probably don't do enough of is thinking about the people, friends and second line family. I think very much of my family is my small family, which has probably strengthened that to the uh, bent that is depleted the bits around it. But I can live with that. That's my choice. So I don't think, I think that's the main choice of, just prioritizing happiness in life and sort of having more of a fuck it attitude. If I can yeah, say that on of course here. you can. Um, I generally, do, I've always had a bit of a fuck it attitude, but it's more around what other people would see as important things in life. I believe I have a bit more of a fuck it attitude. Um, it's funny, my, my daughter was reading, um, my daughter's now 15, so she was reading, um, what's that book about? Not giving a fuck. Oh, uh, the subtle art of not giving. That's it. Yeah, she, she's reading it and she's like, "Oh, Dad, you like this?" And my wife went, "She doesn't like that." Which <laughs> 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 I, I like. I think that it's a good, good thing to have. I think yeah. It's, um, yeah. But anyway, I, I think that also maybe I think it also taught me about equanimity. Um, uh, for some, for those who don't know what that is, would you mind? Equanimity is about being the being the person that is calm and the level-headed person in any situation, the, the, the ability to be calm, level-headed. So when things are going good, I'm never the one jumping up and down, leading a band around going, this is brilliant. And when things are bad, I'm never the one with the head down. And I think that it taught me a lot that when I'm in the household where we're not in a good place, 
I need to be compassionate to my wife of what she's going through and listen to her and bring her up a little bit as much as I can. But then I also need to be calming to my family, my daughter and my son when I'm around them because there's things going on around them that, that I need to think about them. And I think that also impacted how I am as a leader in regards to equanimity and being that calming influence in the office at all times, which I think is important. I have worked with leaders that have maybe been, yeah, let's go celebrate. And then next minute a deal falls through and the one banging the head against the wall. And yeah. that's not what a leader does in my view. And mm-hmm. I think that that's something I learned from that stage as well. Um, the, so. the analogy that I always use for equanimity is the, uh, just a, a little toy boat on the, on the waves. Well, so when it's stormy, the boat is just rocking up and down, riding them. And then when it's calm, the boat is just calmly rolling along. Its job is just to stay on top. That's it. Exactly. Exactly. And it's, it's coping with both sides, the good and the bad. Um, staying level. You just brought it into the leadership side of things. Now, bringing it back slightly to one of the other legs of that tool, which is the work side. Um, you started off in door-to-door sales. Then you went into recruitment. And then you went into LinkedIn. I started off my career in kind of door-to-door sales. The office had two sections. One was door-to-door sales, knocking on doors. The other one was those really annoying people on the street. They're like, hey, can I have your bank account details for this charity? Mm. Same job, but one is knocking on doors. One is stopping people on the street. Um, Then you went into recruitment. Now, I've not done that, but I've had some experiences. Neither of those uh, work cultures are typically known as good cultures. They're typically toxic cultures. Um, yeah. Or at least that's most people's experiences of them. I think that's a brand in the industry. Whether or not, toxic's a strong word. Mm-hmm. I think toxic is more about a company than, than, a, than a, an industry. Okay. Um, I think you can get most, a company in most industries where something can be toxic. I think that, I would say that neither of them have a positive brand around culture. Mm-hmm. It's probably the safest way to say it. Yeah. Uh, you have good and bad in most industries, but yeah, they're, they're not known for the culture of door-to-door sales and recruitment. So when you were in either of those, did you see them as, were they, now knowing what you know about how culture is supposed to be, which side of the spectrums were they on without blasting anyone? Where, where did you start your, your career in? Well, I think the door-to-door sales, it was what it was. You didn't, you didn't really, it had a very salesy culture. You used to meet at the office, get given doors, go knock the doors, maybe have a couple of drinks in between, and then finish at 7, 8 o'clock, go back to the office, and if you'd sold X amount of cards, you bring a bell and everyone high-fives and stuff yeah, yeah, like yeah. that. So it's that kind of culture, but... Then everyone went to the pub. Uh-huh. Then you got up at nine the next day and you, and it was all encompassing. It was just that kind of culture. That to me wasn't a good or bad culture. It was what it was. Um, recruitment for me, I think it was completely different to where I am now. I think that at the time I was uh, come out of uni, two years door to door, gone into, recruit, uh, into recruitment, spent 10 years in it. It was a very male dominated environment. It was very, if you left at six o'clock on the dot, it was like, oh, was it half day? And you're just like, and it yeah, was, yeah. I just think it was, didn't treat everyone as individuals. There was a slight un-PC way about it that when you look back at the time, I don't think, I think nowadays if I was in there, I'd be like, yeah. but you look back at it and yet you didn't see it at the time. Um, so yeah, I so, it was just more driven from leadership to drive revenue and sales, 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 and didn't, I mean, they had massages once a week and stuff. So they, 
it was like, oh, they look after us. But it, when you look back, it's were you treated as an individual? Were you treated as a real person? That it felt like you had to only really think about work non-stop and that was your priority in life, which is not. So the way you just described it is how people typically see tech sales. Uh, work, 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 drive, 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 hit that gong. Yeah. Uh, an element of it. Not here. But not in, here. In and that's the thing. You talk about, so you're very proud of what you've built here in, in sales. That's like, you know, we're in your office here. You're looking out at what you've built over the last three and a half years. Um, my question for you there is, what did you take away from that beginnings and what did you completely reject from those uh, beginnings? I think I took away some sales skills, a lot of sales skills, door-to-door sales is not easy, knocking on someone's door. Basically, door-to-door sales, you get in 100 doors, your mentality changes that it costs through the day, there's a le- and you'll, go, you'll probably find 10 people go by. On your home, some of them may be So your mentality, the people you buy the find through the day, chances are they're not going to buy, which means that by 5 o'clock you probably haven't sold any cards, but you've ticked off 70 of your 100 houses. Now, that's a tough thing. But when you actually, your mentality goes, ah, I've now got 10 to find in 40, that's a lot easier. And when you see it like that, and no is set close to yes and things like that, and then when you're knocking on the doors and it's 6 o'clock and the, the chances are that person could be the person you can buy from you, but they're just sitting down to dinner and you're probably pissing them off because you're knocking on their door, that's tough. Yeah. So the sales skills I learned from that coming out of it, the mentality, I think, treat me well. I think that the questioning techniques within recruitment, my ex-CEO of the company kept, his favorite word was why. And in sales, that's such a powerful word. When you, <laughs> yeah. say, when you ask somebody that, what they do, what priorities, and they say so, so and you go, oh, why is that? And so I, I learned that. I learned some very good sales skills. I don't think I learned anything in regards to leadership. Okay. Uh, or culture. Okay. I left the, um, the recruitment company and I was lucky enough to go to LinkedIn. And from interviewing, I mean, I, I hired tech salespeople when I was in recruitment. So, okay. That'll do it. So, but most, lots of people I'd interviewed, they left their current company because of culture because companies had said, yeah, culture's like this. And culture was often the um, second bit of why they would, there's, often, there's one reason why they leave, but then there's culture on top of it. Um, and so when I went to LinkedIn and they started talking about culture, I thought, oh, it's an American company. It's not going to be uh, truthful. You see, they're going to have it on the wall and there's nothing of it. And I was so wrong. And it taught me so much about culture, leadership, and the value side of it that it completely transformed me as a leader and as a professional. So a lot of that has come from the LinkedIn side of things. 100%. 100% come from the LinkedIn side. But my, so, my sales mentality, as a salesperson, my mentality come from door-to-door sales and recruitment. Me, my, I mean, there's, there's the personal side of, and also my daughter was diagnosed with diabetes, uh, and that's a tough time. Diabetes is so shit mm. um, that it, it's changed our lives that my mum and daughter has to do uh, test of blood. Yeah. Once every couple of hours. Yeah. yeah. Calorie counting. day, etc. And that shit, and that impacts as well. So I've got all, had all these things that have changed me as a person, but then LinkedIn has changed me as a professional. Okay. Putting them both together, they don't contradict each other in my view. Because okay. I've, uh, I believe I am a better person than I was. 
and I continue to strive to be a better person. And what means a better person for me isn't a richer person, isn't uh, someone getting a promotion or anything like that. It's uh, more about a better person for me is constantly learning myself, learning about myself and improving as a person around my values. My, you, we should have a purpose, a goal, and it should align with your values. My values are different to other people's. And my values and my purpose should guide how I develop and where I, where I go. And other people's, may, their purpose may be more around money. That's fine. Mine isn't. But if there is, they'll take a different route to me. And I'm forever, look, hopefully, looking at myself to improve, to become a better person, aligning with my values and my purpose and my goals. So we're back to values. Yes. This is something that's come up a lot. And actually, a lot of the sort of sales leaders, just leaders in general, always talk about values, even KP. Uh, our CEO talks about being a value-led business. Yeah. I'm 24. How do I figure out what my values are? How, what, do, how do you figure out these things? I'm an old man and they come with age. Sort of thing. Uh, <laughs> I, I think that it's, it's... If you look at self-awareness, I think that for me, if I look at what I do like and don't like in people, it sort of teaches you your own values. What you do and don't like in people? Yeah. Okay. Okay. One thing that I do not like in people is dishonesty. And one of my key values is integrity. Absolutely. That was the second thing you said. Yeah. So I think it comes from those kind of things. It's to me, the values shape the person I want to be and the way I want to be seen. Uh, are those the same thing? The way I, you want to be and the way you want to be seen? Yeah, because values are can be sort of aspirational as well as who I actually am. So it's my values. I can't say, I, I, I'd, I'd love to be self-awareness. I would love to be, but I am not self, I'm not hundred percent self-aware. I can get better. To it. So that's not an actual value, but that's sort of an example. I think that we can always get better. So, but the values, I think it's just about understanding yourself of what normally values, once you define them are a non-negotiable. And when I hire, I think about my values and the company's values. We hire around the company values, and there's a half-hour interview for it, but I also look for alignment on my values mm. um, around integrity um, and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think that you – it's a worthwhile exercise. I think I've seen it done by um, – an exercise done by – in groups of leaders to actually define their own values as a leader. So the values – so it seems like the values have different functions. You have values as a as a leader, values as a person. I imagine you're going to have different values as a family man as well as... I don't think so. Personally, I don't. Because if, if, it, if it's me, if it's in my core... So it's all then the same, just they I, apply differently. Yeah, I think they just apply differently. I mean, it's... Uh, Kindness is different from employee to uh, boss to, to yeah, sportsman. I, I, think, to, I think your personal values are you. It's like your fingerprint, in my view. Whether it's the fingerprint that forms over time, and if they are your true values and they are in your core, then they may change over time again. My values now may be different than they are in the future, but once I've defined them or actually understood my values, they sort of guide the way that I want to bring up my family, the way I want to have a relationship, the way that I want to have have a work environment. So that seems to be what's driving you here in Salesland. Yeah, yeah. Um, so looking out, 
Um, what's been the favorite thing that you've, or what's been the highlight, let's say, of the journey that you've had just as a leader in general over the last three years? <sighs> Seeing the happiness of the people. So happiness of employees is something you keep talking about over and over yeah, again. Bang on about, yes. But also you've talked about, so you, just a couple of minutes ago, you mentioned that the, the industry you were in was very male dominated. It was kind of a slave driver side of things. It was, there wasn't much diversity in it. And you talk a lot at the minute about mental health, leadership, happiness, uh, diversity, both gender and in other ways uh, in sales. Um, I guess my question for that is, where does that come from? Is it the fact that you've seen the opposite or that you're kind of rejecting what's happened with other people who've gone the opposite way? Or is it just my th being thoughtful for others? I don't know. I think that, um, you know, I'm always mindful of others and thoughtful of others. And I think that the thought, I, I think some of it comes back to, and I've spoken about this before, when my wife got cancer, my boss said to me at the time, your wife's your priority. And then, your kids are your next priority. And if you get time, when you next get any time, you are your priority, look after yourself and do what's right for you. And then if you get time, do some work. Now, when you think about it, your wife's got cancer. It's not a good situation. You've got kids around. That's the right mentality to have. Absolutely. So I was really lucky at that time. I could have had a boss going, right, come on, you, you, we still pay you nine to five, do what you're doing and, and stuff. I'd have probably just walked away. Um, that, shaped me and I I've spoken about that on a number of things but just the caring for others I think that I, I think a lot of it for me the way I see it is I've been through some shit mm -hmm. I'd prefer other people don't have to go through the shit I've been through to have the learnings I've got so if I can get people to understand that and I, I may be wrong I may, I may be seen as wrong for saying this but I am not sales loft. I'm only sharp. I just tend to be working for a company called sales loft at the moment. That is a vehicle that helps me achieve my goals and my purpose. And the biggest thing in life is that at the end of the, my life, when I think about it, as long as each bit of my life is happiness, I'm happy at sales loft. Brilliant. Right. If I'm not, don't think of work like that. And I want to help the people in this office, I want them, I've always wanted to make sure on a Sunday night they don't have those Sunday blues of, oh, I'm going back to work tomorrow. I want them to think, I'm going back to work tomorrow. And my goal is that your excitement on a Friday night isn't dissimilar to your excitement on a, on a Sunday night. Now, it's never going to be as good, okay? <laughs> you do not have the freedom, I don't, but you shouldn't have the anxiety. Mm -hmm. You should be going, cool, it's Monday, it's life, it doesn't matter, it's cool. Um, and that's what drives me to concentrate on happiness. Plus, I, I read a lot about happiness. There's the Happiness Advantage by Sean Aker. I don't know about that. Um, that a lot of people think that su uh, successful people are happy, but it's not. Science proves happy people are more successful. So if I actually concentrate on, if I can hire the best people, set expectations, then concentrate on the happiness, I'm going to have the best business there is. Um, and that's how I prefer to lead a business and think about it. And if I can change people's view of their lives and their skills while they're working for me, I'm a happy man. I've got a theory. Go for it. I love a theory. I think that before all of the shit you went through, work was a significant part of your identity. Yes. And the paradigm shift that we talked about earlier was the breaking of that. Yeah. It was. And it's. Um, I came from, uh, my dad left when I was 
And me, my mum and my brother went and lived in a two-bedroom flat with my grand, four of us, two-bedroom flat. Um, my mum had to go get a job. So we never came from money. And it was, I always aspire, I went to a good school. I mean, we, we, we went free to Leeds Grammar, which was the top 10 school in the country at the time. But we didn't have any money. And we were like with these people that were really rich, but because my brother was already there. So we, because not coming from money, and going to a private school, I felt, I think I was always wanting to push, push yeah. and be, not be seen as anything less than the people around me. And it gave me drive. And also I was keen at sport. I was good at sport. I played a lot. I played competitively at tennis and cricket and stuff. So I've got that competitive element. So you're right. All of that time, it was like work, work, money, drive, etc. And I remember going into recruitment going, yeah, I'm just money hungry. I went to LinkedIn and said, just give me yellow pages and the phone and I'll smash the shit out of it and I'll just do new business. And I had that mentality, but you're right. The life changes that happened impacted the way that I think. But the vehicle I was in at the time, LinkedIn, helped me do that because they thought differently as well around leadership. That makes a, a lot of sense. I think that's, that's one of the key pieces on this. Uh, when we come back to that stool, you're looking at... Can I just um, reference Jeremy Straker for the school? We keep talking about it. It's not mine. I was at a, a networking breakfast the other day, and Jeremy Straker spoke about it. And when he mentioned it, I thought, oh, I'm having that. It's brilliant. So uh, thank you, Jeremy, for that. And uh, he'd be a good person to do, to do a podcast with because he he has he thinks like this as well. So carry on. Sorry. Uh, thank you for the contact, Jeremy. I, I very much appreciate it. <laughs> um, Thanks so, to we started out this conversation. You said the words northerner, compassionate family man, wanted to help people. Um, you wanted people to use the words like kind, integrity, giving, thoughtful, very um, other people focused. Mm-hmm. Um, and the whole point of this podcast is to figure out why people do what they do. Mm-hmm. Now, you've been the definition of what I've seen, you've been the definition of the word servant leader in mm-hmm. both of those different ways of doing it, both in those three elements of, of it. Um, and I think at the beginning of your life, you were able to build up the self-confidence to know that you were going to be fine. So you talked about all the different things. You had that drive and you kind of got that confidence to go, look, no matter what comes my way, I'll be fine. That then allowed you to focus 100% on other people and that became an MO to get you to the next step. So when you were doing the door-to-door, you were serving both yourself but also uh, the, the people that you were around. Recruitment, that's a big thing of help. You can get a big sense of helping people out of that. And then when LinkedIn comes into your leadership, very much, I think that's where the this version of Ollie started to form, mm-hmm. where it became, if I can help and serve as many different people as possible. At scale. At scale. And sales laugh. Um, then I can um, be the truest version of myself, given the values that I now have. Yep. I see that as the, I think it's a little bit more than helping as many people as possible or helping people at scale. I think it's facilitating, I think is your key driver. What do you mean? Well, kindness, integrity, thoughtful giving, but your main driver is the happiness of others, the happiness of the employees so that they can facilitate themselves. I don't actually think it's because you know if you wanted to make everybody in sales a happy for a second, you 
give them an extra, you double their salary. Uh, yeah, I want to make them happy fun. long-term in life. Yeah. I want to give them the skills for their career mm-hmm. and their skills for their life. And to me, if, if I can change their trajectory of their career by teaching them how to be a fucking good salesperson or anything like that and how to do whatever they want to do in their life, when they leave, they'll be in a better place than they are now. And if they can actually take some of my knowledge or my learnings from what's going through in life about life, then they're going to – so it's about developing others, I guess, and helping them. I don't mean it in a patronizing way of, oh, well, I've been thrown through so much that um, everyone should learn these kind of things. But if I can just help them in little bits to better themselves and better as a, as a professional, as a person, it's better, but get some loads of then I've done my job. So that's you – that then – gives you your sense of happiness. hundred percent. A hundred percent. If I can, I can have a, it's, I can't see how I could ever work for a company that doesn't have a true purpose. And when you look at LinkedIn's mission, their vision, to create economic opportunity for people around the world and stuff, that's a big mission, but you just go, okay, I can get on with that. And it is impacting others for positive. It's, and sales loft, I think that we can impact the industry. I can, I now have a, a stage because of sales loft, because of my role, where I can openly talk about mental well-being and how to think about the culture side stroke, happiness of employees for the good of the industry, for the good of the people in the industry. And if I, if it gives me that stage, then it's worthwhile me doing. I think you leading with this happiness piece and leading the way that you're leading and growing other people in work and helping and supporting your family is also helping and supporting you in and of yourself because you get that sense of satisfaction. Yes. And oh yeah, if I didn't like that, I can Reinforces all of these pieces of identity that you have. Um, so speaking of helping, if anybody wants your help or is there any way that you, that, you know, other people can help you, what's the best way to, to get in contact? I don't, uh, that's uh, I do, actually, that, that's wrong. I have a network of people, I mean, my wife helps me a lot, as I say, but I have a network of people if it's a work-related thing that I go to. And it's, I don't, I, I'm not a believer of having one mentor. I have a, a number of people I can contact. Because if I know it's around X, I know to go to this person. Uh, LinkedIn. Uh, I, I'm obviously on LinkedIn. After 10 years there, I can't not be on LinkedIn. And um, for any help, I'm always there to uh, help anybody with anything around my skill set. Sometimes people come to me wanting help and I'll be like, that's not my bag. It's not where I can help you. It's not my strength. So I am honest. But uh, yeah, LinkedIn is the right way to contact me. Cool. Um, well, Lucas, thank you for coming. Is there anything that you want to share or anything else that's, that's left? We have How a much do I owe you for this counselling session? Is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, no, I, um, I just uh, would ask that if you are in the sales industry and listening, please uh, think big about the industry in regards to how we can improve how the industry is seen externally by people say because we want to attract more people into the industry specifically more females would be great but i think it's got a bad rep and i think there are certain companies out there still that maybe don't lead in the way that they are compassionate to their employees so if you are in the industry please concentrate on mental well-being of people within the industry and look after your staff if you're a leader because it is a good industry it helps me provide a great life and opportunity for my family and um, the more good people we can get in it the more people we can learn from so that's it do you know what's interesting you talk about all of the right things and for some reason we believe you <laughs> it's all bullshit <laughs> okay, thank you for that thank you 
Who knew that Ali Sharp's MO of facilitating the happiness of others would start with the idea that he himself was concerned with boring people? I think that one of the most important things that comes out of today's episode with Ali is he starts off by describing himself as being introverted and not confident. He is preoccupied with being caring and compassionate and being as much of a family man as he can. He likes to lead with kindness, integrity. This, he's very intentional and thoughtful in his interactions with others and very mindful in how he interacts with other people. However, the most important piece out of this is that when we talked about the three-legged stool, supporting people in his work, in his family and himself, he subconsciously found that by supporting other people in work and by supporting his family, he was also building up himself and his own sense of self and working on the third leg of the stool. All of the different things that he has gone through in his life means that he now only knows how to lead with empathy. And as a result, he's become one of the best sales leaders Europe or the UK or even the world has ever seen. Ali Sharp's why is to facilitate the happiness and fulfillment of others. And that is what we talked about today. Thank you for joining us on today's journey with Ali Sharp. We are going to have a new guest next week. But if you have any feedback from today, please reach out to me on LinkedIn. Hope you're having a good day and I will see you very soon.